Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm so glad you could join us today. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and we are back to launch the third season of our live radio show and podcast. Our show can be heard live on BBS Radio and is available on the majority of streaming platforms. I'd like to thank all of our listeners from around the globe for tuning in today, and I hope you will remember to like, share, and subscribe to our program. Now, today's guest has a very special mission that allows children in Africa the opportunity to get an education through the Weiss Scholarship Foundation. The organization's founder, Brett Weiss, is here today to tell us all about how and why he started this great organization and the wonderful work he is doing to empower young people in Kenya with an education. Brett, thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning, Celeste. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm honored to be here. Well, I wanted to begin, Brett, by asking you, what actually prompted you to start this organization? Um, I always had a bucket list thing to go to Africa and volunteer. I put it off for a lot of years. I finally went in 2009 and I spent three weeks, this little village in back of me called Dago in southwestern Kenya, tiny village, 3,000, as poor as can be, you know, poorest people on earth. And I fell in love with the people and I fell in love with Kenya and they're the nicest, hardest working people you ever met, very kind. Uh, but the average child only gets four years of school. And in little villages like this, it's usually less than that. And I was just inspired and decided I needed to do something to help. So in your own words, can you please define your mission? We're really all about, you kind of said, empowering children in Kenya with a, to get a great education as we work to build a world where every child gets a great education. That's what we're about. Yeah. Well, you know, with recognition of the fact that more than, you know, I guess I, I, I really want to say for more than 100 years from some of the, the research, more than half of those children in Africa and around the world get little to no education. And in Africa, the numbers are at about 75 percent. So how is your program making a difference in the lives of some of these young people? So one of the things I learned early on is these children need financial help, right? None of these children would go to high school without our help. The government there doesn't pay for high school. That's why they need help. But they need much more than financial help. So we have built what we call a holistic business model that recognizes they need more than just financial help. And this is why we have seven staff people on the ground. Very few of our children have both parents. Many don't have either parent and they live with an auntie or a grandma or a neighbor. Um, and the adults in their life really don't know how to help them through school. So our seven staff people on the ground, their job is to be totally engaged in the lives of our children. We visit them every term. There's three terms in the school year. They're all at different boarding schools around Kenya. We meet with them. We go over the report cards with them. We meet with the principal, the assistant principal, all the key staff people. We meet with the adults who are in their life. We want to make sure all of the adults in the child's life are working together to make sure we're doing everything we can to help them be successful. These kids face challenges every day that most of us couldn't even imagine. And the girls even more challenges. Mm -hmm. So has this been a real learning experience for you? Um, I'm sure, you know, you think it's going to be one way when you get started and it, 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 it 
sometimes can be just a little bit different than how it is, you know, when you get started. So having worked on a project like this myself, I can, I can tell that uh, (laughs) there, there, there's often a a steep learning curve as you, as you actually go through it. So tell me about that. Well, I know you have a PhD. I feel like I've learned like a a school of hard knocks PhD the last few years. (laughs) Uh, People think I had a master plan when I started and the initial plan was I'm going to help one kid. And then we'll see from there. And I had no idea. I, I, I had never started or run a nonprofit. So it has been a tremendous learning experience. Plus, you have to realize it, Kenya's a totally different world. You know, like they speak English, but they speak the Queen's English, not, not our English. You know, so English can be different. Culturally, everything is different. And so I've had to learn all that. Um, in the beginning, we had no way of directly communicating with them in the village. Today, technology has improved that quite a bit. So, yeah, it's been an amazing learning experience. And every time I think I really understand all this, I realize I still don't have a clue. There's a lot more to learn. Yeah, always, always, yes, right? Yes. Well, we're going to um, learn a little bit more about uh, some of the trials and tribulations of running a nonprofit in another country in Africa. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break and listen to a public service announcement that gives us a little bit more uh, information about the Weiss Scholarship Foundation. We'll be back right after this. Imagine a world where every child gets a great education. Educating all children is the only way to end poverty. This is what the Weiss Scholarship Foundation is working to accomplish. In just a few short years, we have already awarded 141 scholarships. We send children to high school who would have never gone without our support. Today it's Kenya, but tomorrow it's more countries. Please contribute what you can today. Go to our website, www.weissscholarshipfoundation.org. Um, the next uh, question that I have for you is why do you think that the model that you've come up with in particular, Brett, why do you think that that can actually end poverty? No, it's a great question. And in fact, it's probably the most important question of all. Because um, my whole life I've been, in, I've been thinking about, look at all the money the developed world has spent in Africa. And it hasn't really changed that much. And for some kids, it's worse. And, you know, there's a lot of organizations paying school fees. They paid for kids to go to school. And that's good, right? Anytime you pay fees for a poor kid, that's great. But it really isn't enough. Um, and, and so, because what was missing was the human engagement, the support that these kids need. Um, and uh, with that support, you know, when, when we sit down with a child and we go over the report card and we, we compliment them on what they're doing well, but we also take a look at where their challenges are, where are they not doing well? And then we work to try to help them. We, we quite often get them extra help in math or science or whatever the subject is. That ingredient is really kind of what's always been missing. And, and to be frank, I, I don't want to brag about this, but I've never seen another organization do this. So you have to have the adults in their life to support them. Absolutely. I think we have that commercial ready now. And if uh, we can, we're going to quickly go to a break and learn a little bit more about your organization and how people can help. We'll be back right after this. Imagine a world where every child gets a great education. Educating all children is the only way to end poverty. 
This is what the Weiss Scholarship Foundation is working to accomplish. Our six staff members, our mentors and coordinators who are on the ground in Kenya are totally engaged in every aspect of our students' lives so we can give them every opportunity for success. In just a few short years, we have already awarded 141 scholarships. We send children to high school who would have never gone without our support. And then we help them go on to either university or vocational school. We have already scaled our holistic business model to four locations and are ready to scale it to many more. Today it's Kenya, but tomorrow it's more countries. Please contribute what you can today. You can make a one-time donation, a recurring donation, or choose to sponsor a child all on your own for all four years of high school for just $3,500. Go to our website, www.weissscholarshipfoundation.org. And we're in the studio with Brett Weiss, and we're talking about uh, his foundation, the Brett Weiss Foundation, and how they're able to help children in Africa, in Kenya, to get an education. Brett, welcome back. Um, One of the things that um, I wanted to talk about a little bit more in depth is the cost. As we saw uh, during the public service announcement, it's like $3,500. Um, to put each child through the program. Tell us what that covers. Okay, great. Um, One of the best things about this is how little money it takes to totally change a child's life. So yes, we send a child to high school for all four years for $3,500. If you think about that, that's $3 a day. And these kids are all at boarding schools. That's room and board, books, fees, tuition, everything we you know these kids have no money we buy them toothpaste and toilet paper and shampoo and i mean it's literally everything all of their books so it covers all of their expenses for three dollars a day um and we we have some donors who want to pay the whole 3500 and sponsor on their own but most of our donors just donate fifty dollars a hundred dollars you know whatever you know they feel like like donating so three dollars a day performs miracles here yeah, that's amazing. And one of the things I wanted to ask, so let's talk a little bit about the conditions. It sounds like there are a lot of needs. What what does the average student, what type of background do they come from? You know, what, uh, what kind of conditions are they living in? Because sure. our equation of how we equate poverty, I think, in the United States is certainly very, very different probably yes. than, than what these young people are experiencing. So can we talk about that just a little bit? Right. And, you know, and I'm very aware that 20% of the children in our own country are growing up poor, and I consider that a crime. But we have to recognize poverty in a place like Kenya is a whole different level of poverty. These children live in little mud huts that are smaller than their living rooms. Uh, quite often, there's 10, 12, 15 people in a mud hut because AIDS has devastated that part of the world. And so quite often there's a mother and a father, their children and a bunch of their nieces and nephews all living in the same place. No electricity, no plumbing. Um, On a regular basis, children go to sleep without any food. It's just a common thing there. Uh, so, So food is a big problem. Most people will live and die and never see a doctor. Uh, the very few people live past 40. I'm like a great grandfather there. Uh, and the medical care they can get is, is very, very poor. So um, they're all farmers trying to grow enough food to feed themselves, but they don't know anything about farming. And that's part of why they stay hungry. There's a big need for them to actually learn how to farm. So if you, if you made a, a list of, of how you define extreme poverty, 
these people check off all the boxes. That is how poor they are. And for girls, much, much more difficult. It is a world that is, uh, it is a world that is run by men. All the laws uh, benefit the men. Uh, women stay with men who abuse them because it's pretty much impossible to get a divorce. And if a woman gets a divorce, she has no rights to property and no rights to her children. Girls grow up in a world where sadly, you know, rapes of young girls and teenage pregnancies are very, very common. Um, in fact, it's why, Celeste, I know you know that we have this rule that we divide all of our money 50-50 between girls and boys, which is absolutely crucial because we cannot end poverty unless girls are educated. Mm, very good point. Um, one of the things in, in listening to you, it just made me think about COVID. And if it was bad before, I can only imagine some of the challenges that COVID may have posed within these communities in, in Africa. Uh, has that been a challenge for you, uh, them and the organization? Yes, you have no idea how big of a challenge. I mean, we talked here the challenges we had her, and, and there were big challenges. Schools were closed there for nine months. In the beginnings, people here would ask me, how is e-learning going for your students in Kenya? And I would laugh and I'd say, it's pretty hard to do e-learning when you don't even have electricity. Mm. So all of, our, all of our staff are trained teachers. So during those nine months, we tried to run classes every day the best we could. Uh, we actually have a tailoring school in that part of the world. And their, one of their first projects was to make masks for everybody, you know, when COVID hit. But here's the reality of part of why it's so much more difficult for girls. Um, high schools are relatively safe. In high schools, there's big walls around them. There's only one gate to get in. There's always a guard there. People are, and the kids and the girls are safe. When you're not in high school, it's not safe. I read, I read the news. I get Google alerts every night to stay up on the news in Kenya Immediately when schools were closed, you saw stories of increases in, in rapes of young girls and teenage pregnancies. And I would talk to my staff on a regular basis, make sure you're checking in with these kids every day, make sure they're safe. So I'm happy to tell you that nine months later, all of our children returned to school safely. But the reality is thousands and thousands of high school kids did not return to school. Most of them were girls. If you're pregnant in Kenya, no high school will let you come there. So for thousands of girls, they, would be, they have become permanent victims of COVID. They're just never going to go back to school. And, and that's very, very sad. But you know, we always know when, when times are tough, the poorest always get hit, hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. You just mentioned that you had a, fortunately had a whole team of people kind of that you could check in with and that could check on these young folks. Let me ask you this. How do they receive their training and who, who is selected for this very important mission? Uh, five of our seven people have four-year university degrees and are trained to be teachers. The other two have two-year degrees. And, and probably you got to realize this. There aren't many people in Kenya who have even a two-year degree, much less a four-year degree. So they all have really, really good training. We go through a bunch of stuff. We go through a bunch of stuff to train them um, especially we, we go through a lot of things to train them on, you know, properly dealing with children, like a male should never be alone with a girl, never, ever be alone with a girl, you know, that kind of thing. So we go through a lot of that. Um, and then of course we have to train them just kind of operationally on how we want to run the foundation. 
like our staff people are very bright people and so on, but they've never been a part of a nonprofit. They've never been a part of what we do. So we have to train them a lot on what we do in terms of like what the questions to ask the kids, the questions to ask the principals, the questions to ask the parents. We're always on the lookout for abuse. We talk a lot about that abuse, whether it's by, by any of the adults in their life, whether it's a teacher whether it's a parent, an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa, whatever, uh, because abuse, unfortunately, is way, way too common. And we're always looking for signs of abuse. Mm -hmm. I want to do this. Uh, I want to try to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about maybe some of the other challenges that you face, you know, with with a program like this overseas. We'll be back right after this. Imagine a world where every child gets a great education. Educating all children is the only way to end poverty. This is what the Weiss Scholarship Foundation is working to accomplish. In just a few short years, we have already awarded 141 scholarships. We send children to high school who would have never gone without our support. Today it's Kenya, but tomorrow it's more countries. Please contribute what you can today. Go to our website, www.weissscholarshipfoundation.org. Welcome back to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein, and we're here talking with Brett Weiss from the Weiss Scholarship Foundation, uh, which provides educational training and other services to children in Africa, in Kenya, who otherwise probably would not get an education. Thanks again for being a part of the show today, Brett. Um, wanted to next ask you about what you feel uh, might be some other challenges that you face uh, over the years with uh, the, the foundation and trying to educate uh, young people. Well, one of which is clearly that raising money to educate poor children in Africa is not real high on, on many people's priority list. And that's a real challenge. And I run into many people who say, I want to help children in the United States. And I say, God bless you. Good. Help a child somewhere. So, so it's tough raising money for children in Africa. Another big challenge is these kids face pressures that we would never face. My parents were depression babies. I was raised in a home where we were told, look, we never got to go to college, but we're going to work hard to make sure you and I have two younger brothers get to go to college and have a great life. And they did that. These kids grow up in a world where they're told, you have to realize their parents or adults in their life know very little about education. They're told, work hard in school, get good marks, go to university, get a good job, make a lot of money, get us out of the village and build us a nice house. They're raised with that, you know, the pressures Uh, under that. uh. So what happens is the children take a test at the end of high school. It's like their SAT test. The government there controls everything which is part of the problem. Um, you have to do really well, on this, really well on this test to get to university. So a number of our kids have made it there. We have four university graduates, a number of kids in university now. But if they don't do well, they can't go to university. And so we have to start talking to them about vocational schools. Well, the challenge we have, and we've had to deal with a whole bunch of kids on this, when they don't make it to university, they feel like they failed. I have been with kids, or staff have been with kids. I've done it over Zoom where they say, I failed. I failed my parents. I failed my village. And I look at them, we look at them and we say, wait a second, you're the first child in your family to graduate high school. 
how about we celebrate that a little bit? Let's get excited <laughs> right. about that. And yeah. then our staff is going to let you, kind of teach you about vocations. Think about if you don't have electricity, you don't know what an electrician is. If you don't have uh, plumbing, you don't know what a plumber is and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And there's a real bias against vocational school, kind of like there is here in our own country there. But our staff has to work to teach them, first of all, don't feel bad. Be proud of yourself and what you've accomplished. And then we teach them about different vocations. And then we, then we help them get into a school that will help them train in that. Uh, I had some fun in June. I was with one of our young men named Nelson Mandela. That's pretty cool right there. Uh, he had just uh-huh. become a plumber. And if you become uh-huh. a plumber in Kenya, you can make a really, really good living. And he was very proud of becoming a plumber. So, uh, uh-huh. but, you know, and everything there takes a long time. You know, we move fast in everything. And I tend to move fast in everything. I've learned I have to be very patient because everything there takes a long time. Absolutely. I know, uh, you know, what do they say? Rome wasn't built in a day. I guess yes, Africa yeah. wasn't either, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, one of the things that um, also I think um, obviously uh, comes from doing this type of work even though it may take a long time and even though you have challenges, I'm sure you have your success stories as well. So tell me about, um, besides uh, Nelson Mandela that you just mentioned, (laughs) uh, who's now the plumber, um, who else um, have you been working with uh, to get through university school or to university school? And, you know, what's what's going on with some of the the young men and women who have gone through your program? So I guess first I would answer, I consider every one of our children a great success. I mean, they all work hard. Some have more abilities than others, just like any place, but I consider them all a success. As I mentioned, we have had four university graduates. There'll be many more in the next year, eight vocational school graduates, Nelson Mandela being one of them. Um, we just had our the coolest story. Uh, I had a bucket list thing I said a few years ago. Wouldn't it be great if we could get one of our kids to University of the United States? We targeted a young woman named Christina Koth. The reason we have the 50-50 rule on how we divide our money is the test after uh, that they take an eighth grade. The girls tend to score quite a bit lower than the boys, not because they're not as smart, but for a whole lot of reasons beyond their control, they missed a lot of school. And um, so we have to divide. And there's Christina Koth, who I'm going to talk about in a moment here. Um, uh, If we of the 141 scholarships we've given, if it was just based on test scores, less than 10 girls would have received one. So we divided 50-50. And so our great story now, you just saw a brilliant young woman, Christina Koth. When she graduated primary school, she had by far the highest score in that exam of anybody ever had in the village, like 20% higher. There she is in her dorm room right now. So we targeted her. It's been a lot of work the last few years. We got her here to the United States on August 22nd. Some people may know it's very difficult to get a visa these days. She is at Elmhurst University, which is about 20 minutes from me here in the western suburbs of Chicago. She is an incredibly bright young woman. She finished in the top 30 girls in the country. She got to go to the best high school for girls in the country. And most of the kids who do really well there come from families a little bit better off. She's the girl, we call her the girl from the village, who grew in mud hut, no electricity, no plumbing, and so on. She is a brilliant young woman. It has been amazing to spend the last three weeks with her. She's off to a great start. She's always wanted to be a neurosurgeon, 
There she is at O'Hare Airport when I picked her up after wow. a long, long journey to get there. And the girl had never been to an airport before. Uh, wow. So it was quite impressive. And she came through Amsterdam and a, a five-hour layover. There's There I am with her. A five-hour layover became seven-hour layover. Uh, but she's doing really well. Nothing seems to bother her. But I, I'm getting a, a quick story in the car on the way from O'Hare Airport to Elmer's University. Here is the range of this young lady's questions. At one point, she asked me, how far is the river from Elmhurst University so I know where to go to wash my clothes and bathe? Because that's her only experience in life. That's her mom and dad at the airport in, uh, in Nairobi, Kenya. So she asked me about the river. And then a few minutes later, she asked me how she can get to Netflix. So her questions, that's the wow. her questions, you know, and uh, she's incredibly right. This mm. young woman took a math placement test. She placed to start a calculus in math. Mm. Not many kids in the United States would place to start a calculus. She's right. really bright. She's adjusting. The hardest things for her are the food and air conditioning. She doesn't like air conditioning. It gives her headaches. Uh, actually, her dorm is not air conditioned, and she considers this have a good thing. She doesn't like the air conditioning. Yeah, it's too yeah, cold, uh, right? So, yeah, it's too cold. And <laughs> she's not used to the heat here and the humidity here in the Chicago area because there's no humidity in Kenya. It's, it's sub-Saharan Africa. Mm-hmm. So humidity is a problem. We have talked a bit about winter. You know, obviously, you know, you don't know what 20 below is until you're actually in 20 below. That was actually back in Kenya. I had brought her some Elmer's University t-shirts to wear. Mm-hmm. So that was back when I was in Kenya in June. Uh, and um, she's she's quick. She picks up on things very quickly. Every day she just impresses me on, on what she does. And she's very outgoing, which is important because many of these kids tend to be very shy, especially mm-hmm. the girls. She is not shy. I asked her if she, <laughs> I asked her if she talked to people on the plane. She says, well, I talked to everybody on the plane. And, and that's just <laughs> who she is. And she kind of lights up her room when she walks in. And uh, we are incredibly proud of her as the people are back in, in the village of Dago. So it sounds like a few adjustments, uh, but oh, she's getting along, huh? <laughs> well, think about a young woman arrives with a suitcase with barely anything in it. She had never worn any clothes. It hadn't been worn by somebody else before. Nothing for her dorm room. You know, we, we, we have sent two kids to college years ago. You know, this is much more work than when we sent our own kids to college because she needed everything. That's a young woman named Juliet, who, who a few years ago, she actually just started university. Um, and uh, she's another very, very bright young woman. She, she's, at, she's at a university in Nairobi. Wow. I mean, this is, this is really, you know, to see it come full circle and to actually see one of these children uh, actually get to come to school here. And, you know, it really must warm your heart uh, to, to see the work that you've done and it, it result in this, you know, yes. that's gotta be a great, a great thing. It is. So um, one of the things that um, I also wanted to ask you um, is, or, or an observation, shall we say, as you look at the picture behind you, in spite of the abject poverty that many of these young people come from, they still seem like, any other kid and they just seem so happy you know tell me about the spirit and the personality of of these young people because it seems like you know I mean even with my own kids you give them everything but they just never seem happy you know um 
Yeah. I, it, it's actually, and you know, I went in June for the first time since COVID. I had really missed being there. Um, yes, they appreciate life in ways we don't. Every little thing they appreciate because life is so tough. Getting some food, they really appreciate that. I forgot I have a line that I say, you know, in Kenya, they eat food so they don't die. We eat food mostly for entertainment purposes here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they, they, they appreciate everything. Uh, they work, all of them work incredibly, incredibly hard. You know, if my iPhone is giving me problems, my day is like shattered. Well, they don't have those worries. Their worries, are they going to have food that day? Where are they going to sleep that night? All of those right. kinds of things. Right. And they're very optimistic about the future. Um, and we, and matter of fact, we've seen even more than that. The, the reason why we use the word hope in this village of Dago, I keep a lot of data. Um, when we first started in this village, there usually were about 80 kids who would start first grade. When you got to eighth grade, there usually were about 35 left. Of the 35, three or four were girls. In the most recent class, 70 kids graduated primary school. So most of the kids stayed on to graduate. And that exam they take at the end of primary school, the average cost, is, the average score has gone up by more than 40%. So kids are staying in school longer and they're learning more. And my favorite piece of data is the gap between the girls and boys. When we started in this village, the gap was 20%, boys scoring 20% higher. The gap is down to 3%. And the boys' scores have gone up dramatically, but the girls' scores have just skyrocketed. And it shows what happens once you give people hope. Before there was no hope. Now there's hope that, gee, if I work hard, maybe I can get a scholarship too. Yeah. One thing, um, I think when you look at the problem of abject poverty, and and like you said, this is a, a situation over there that we can't even begin to fathom. Um, when you when you look at that, um, it can seem overwhelming. You know, a lot of people are like, I don't know what I can do to help. And it, it reminds me of a, a project I mentioned earlier. I worked on um, years ago with a, a young lady named Ellie Ambrose. And I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but I worked very closely with Ellie, who um, actually raised enough money to open two schools in Nairobi, Kenya. Okay. And I remember... Um, when she and her mother came to me, they told me this story about how they went to a church service in Nashville with Rick Warren, Minister Rick Warren, and okay. he showed a video of uh, the children in, in a village in Nairobi, Kenya. And when, when Ellie saw it, she just didn't know how she could possibly do anything to help. But when she went home, she ran upstairs and she, you know, they, they came to me and told me this story. She ran upstairs. She got her brand new backpack for school. She came down with the utmost sincerity, handed her mother the backpack and said, mom, uh, you need to send this over to the children in Africa because I'm sure they need it a lot more than I do. And her mother just shrugged her shoulders. She's like, oh, oh, honey, <laughs> like that's not going to kind of get it. But then she said, you know, maybe uh, maybe you should should uh, take some time and pray about it. we're going to pray about this. So yep. they ended up getting this idea to um, start this 5K run. That's what she came up with the next day after praying about it, uh, that she was going to do a 5K run. And uh, after raising about a half million dollars and two schools later and partnering wow. with Souls for Souls and 
it's amazing, you know. So yes, you think yes. you can't, but if a 12-year-old child can can come up with this, there's obviously something we can all do to play play a part, um, whether it be here helping people or somewhere else. And so what do you what would you say uh, to that person who wonders what they can do to help? Well, I guess a lot of what I, say, I do a lot of talks. I've done probably 150 you know, presentations over the last five years. And one of the things mm-hmm. I always say is, because people will say to me, your goal is to create a world where every child gets a great education. That's kind of crazy. And I always respond, if you're going to have a goal, it might as well be a big goal. Why have a little goal? The reality is there's plenty of money in the world. We don't have a world where more than half the children get little to no education because there isn't enough money. There's plenty of money. It's simply about the will to make it happen, to make it a priority. And that's what I ask people to do. Simply make it a priority. And your friends you were just talking about here, they made it a priority. And and, and if you make it a priority, you can can solve the problem. And most people, their biggest challenge is they don't think it can be done. Therefore, like, why even try if it can't be done? It can be done. We can yes. perform miracles in this world. Miracles happen all the time, right? And right. we can do it, but we just have to believe it can't be done. Right. Well, you mentioned your bucket list earlier too. Do you feel like you've accomplished a lot of what was on that list? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. you know. the, the problem is, Celeste, is no matter how many things we accomplish, the bucket list grows faster. Mm-hmm. So I'll never, <laughs> Isn't uh, that the case? No matter how many years I live, the bucket list will grow longer. But hmm. no, the bucket list, it, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But um, what we have to do is prioritize the bucket list. And uh, there's, so, I'm very proud of what we've done. But I, every day I wake up and I go, we just started. We just started. Because you think about it, 141, yes, we're very proud of that. And we'll do a bunch more at the end of this year. But you know, it's a tiny fraction. The saddest moments for me is sometimes I'm in an eighth grade classroom and I look around and I go, okay, some of these kids were going to be able to help, but most of them were not, you, you know, and the reality is still most of these kids we can't. And that's very sad. Um, you know, I try to focus on the good that we're doing, but every day I realize it's sad. Celeste, every day I am contacted by at least two or three people in Africa, usually Kenya, either by email, Facebook message, or, or, or WhatsApp. I'm on WhatsApp a lot. Basically, the, the typical story is, hi, I'm a mom, a, a mom, and I have three children. Uh, I can't pay their school fees. Their father won't help. Can you please help me? All the time. I get these every day. And I will very politely, I take the time, and I try to politely respond to every one of them. And I just go, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I hope you can find the help you need. God bless you, and, and go from there. Um, and, you know, and everyone motivates me to work even harder because, you know, more and more, I want to be able to say yes and not no, but unfortunately there are a lot of no's. Yeah. We're going to take one more quick break. And when we come out, come back from that break, we're going to talk about what's on the horizon. Um, and if there are other things you've kind of added to that bucket <laughs> list, I'd like to, <laughs> like to certainly hear a little bit more about that. And we'll be okay. wrapping up in just a moment. So thank you again for joining us. We'll be back right after this short break. Imagine a world where every child gets a great education. Educating all children is the only way to end poverty. This is what the Weiss Scholarship Foundation is working to accomplish. Our six staff members, our mentors and coordinators, 
who are on the ground in Kenya are totally engaged in every aspect of our students' lives, so we can give them every opportunity for success. In just a few short years, we have already awarded 141 scholarships. We send children to high school who would have never gone without our support. And then we help them go on to either university or vocational school. We have already scaled our holistic business model to four locations and are ready to scale it to many more. Today it's Kenya, but tomorrow it's more countries. Please contribute what you can today. You can make a one-time donation, a recurring donation, or choose to sponsor a child all on your own for all four years of high school for just $3,500. Go to our website, www.weissscholarshipfoundation.org. Welcome back to the Celeste Stein Show. I'm your host, Dr. Celeste Stein. Thank you all for joining us. I hope you will remember to like, share, subscribe, um, and make sure you keep uh, tuning in to hear more great stories like this from our guest today, um, Brett Weiss, who is from the Brett Weiss Foundation, who is talking about how uh, monies can be raised uh, to, to really benefit children um, who are in, desperately in need of an education. And he's, his, his main focus right now is in Nairobi, Nairobi, Kenya, but obviously coming up, uh, he's mentioned he's had a bucket list for a while and we're getting ready to talk a little bit more um, with Brett about some of those other things on the bucket list. Uh, so uh, where are we? Have, what have we accomplished and what, what do we still want to achieve at this point? So first, let me amend something you just said. We're actually, Nairobi is the capital. Uh, we are in the southwestern part of Kenya that the area we're at is an eight to 10 hour car drive by car. Oh, wow. Uh, depending, depending on how many cows are in the road and, you know, all those kinds of variables and so on. <laughs> so, um, um, so we started in Dago, the village of Dago. As we've grown, we have what we call scaled our, our holistic business model. We are now in four different communities as part of how we've grown. And we do that through partnerships. We're always looking for partners. So we've scaled to four and we want to keep scaling. So, you know, when we talk about my bucket list. I could talk about a whole bunch of things, but I want to be on the reality of where we're at right now is. We want okay. to create a Kenya, and I know a lot of Kenyans here in the United States, and we talk about this all the time. Uh, we want to create a Kenya where every child gets a great education, because after that, we can go beyond Kenya. So we're looking for more partners in Kenya that we can partner with to, to eventually you know, create a Kenya where every child gets a great education. So that is a lot of what we work on every day. Um, the Obviously, fundraising is no matter how much money we raise, it's never enough, right? Because there's still millions of kids who don't ever help. So we're always trying to figure out how to raise more money, um, you know, whether it's $5, $10, or 1000 or much bigger than that. You know, we're always trying to do that. So it's about raising money, going to more communities. Because um, we, we've built this model. We can just keep scaling the model. We just need the resources to do it. Uh, mm -hmm. We know how to do this. And you know, it's, it's, the schools are amazed. The schools say to our staff all the time, you actually come to visit these kids. Nobody comes to visit these kids, but you come to visit them and you sit down with them. So we just want to scale this. We need to make it bigger and help more kids. Mm -hmm. And when you walk into the average um, classroom there, what types of things are in there? Like, what does it look like? Okay, so primary school is very different than high school. A primary school 
is very limited. Um, it's generally a combination of mud and brick and so on, no electricity. Uh, there's openings for windows. Sometimes there's a real window. Sometimes it's just an opening. There are roofs that they call metal roofs. There's little holes uh, through the top of them so that light can come through. Um, really old wooden desks. It's very, very poor. The high schools are much nicer. Uh, they're still very primitive by our standards, but they're much nicer. The teachers are better. To teach at a primary school, you only need two years of what they call a teacher's college. At high school, all the teachers have at least a bachelor's degree. The classrooms are much nicer. They're generally all cement. The desks are nicer. There's a nice place they go to eat. There's there's dorms, basically, you know, where they sleep at night because they're all boarding schools. So those are much nicer. But the classrooms are always very crowded. You know, I'm a retired teacher. My wife's a retired teacher. We talk about classroom size. The classroom sizes are generally very, very big, which there's a big shortage of teachers in Kenya. So they just don't have enough teachers. So the classes become very big. We all know what happens when classes are big. There's a whole bunch of kids who just kind of fall through the cracks there. So, uh, but, you know, they're working to get better. We're working to get better. Um, We do send most of our girls, most of our girls now go to private schools. um, And the, the private schools are significantly better than the government schools. And what's nice is we really don't have to pay anything more for that. The private schools tend to have a lot of ties to the West where they can raise a lot of money. So the fees they charge us aren't really any more than what we pay for the government schools. Uh, So more and more, we're trying to get our kids to private schools because they're just significantly better than the public schools. One thing um, I'm noticing in the background from your picture as well, that the the children are all in uniform. And I know pictures I've seen before, they didn't have that. And I mean, did did it take a while to get there? You know, uh, where- Well, those are not, those are primary school children. So we really, we really have nothing to do with every child in Kenya, whatever grade you're in, you're in a uniform. Oh, Not university, primary Mm -hmm. school, high school, you can't go to school without being in a uniform. And that, that is one of the challenges. Quite often, parents can't afford to buy the uniform, and then they can't go to school. And a lot of times, they quit because they don't have a school uniform. You know, just imagine that. So, yeah, so they all wear uniforms, and every school kind of has their own colors. You can see it's kind of a blue and white there in the village of Dago. So, yes, you have to wear a school uniform there. But the and then the supplies. I know you said you know it's very <laughs> they're they're old desk and things like that. But what about uh, the actual? You know, I know you need pen and paper and backpacks and things like that. Do they do they have access to those things? Uh, very limited. I'll quickly tell you my favorite one of my favorite stories. It's in the book that I wrote about this. First time I'm there in 2009, a young man is taking notes. He's up in the front of the room and he starts crying and he's shaking his pen, you know, like this. And it clearly run out of ink. Um, and, you know, I'm in the back. It's my first day there. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I go up and hand him a pen. He says, Asante Sana, which is thank you very much in Swahili. Um, at the end of the class, he wanted to give me the pen back. And I was like, it's okay, you can keep the pen. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I asked the teacher, it's a pen. Why was he crying? The teacher laughs at me and says, you don't get this at all. The reason he was crying is he was worried he might never get another pen. And if mm. he could not get another pen, he'd have to quit school. And that was like a, like, you know, I'm not in Kansas anymore kind of moment. That's the reality, right? Yes. Uh, And that's why I talk about like in high school, we buy the kids everything, you know, toiletries, all their supplies, because they literally have no money. 
It isn't like they can afford to go to the store and buy a new pen. They don't have any money at all. So we have to buy everything. Um, when I first was in Dago in 2009, there was no chalk at the school. They have the slate, they have slate board, but they had no chalk, you know. Um, you know, and the, the kids will share pens and pencils. They'll, they'll share everything because they don't have enough. Mm-hmm. In an ideal world, if you could get everything on your wish list, what were what would be, I guess, your your top three things? If you could wave the magic wand and those <laughs> those things appear, you know. Well, to me, it's really just one thing. One, two, and three are all the same thing. Mm. Create a world where every child gets at least a high school education and hopefully beyond that, because I firmly believe that's the only way we can ever end poverty. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. It's, it's, it's everything. Because once we end, think about all the other problems, you know, when girls stay in school longer, we have, we, we dramatically reduce teenage pregnancies. We dramatically reduce teenagers, girl, girls being raped. You know, there's less abuse. We, we help solve the AIDS problem. Think of all the other problems that we have, you know, to me, the key to all of those is education. You know, um, Nelson Mandela is a plumber now. He's going to help a lot of people who never had plumbing before to get plumbing. You know, uh, Christine at, at Elmhurst University, she wants to become a neurosurgeon. Think of all the amazing things she's going to do in her life to help others. You know, we feel we're training the people who are going to spend a lifetime fixing all the other problems. Yeah. And I mean, as they say, it takes a village. And I mean, you really yes. have to think about this um, in terms of you know, when you look at it, it seems like this monstrous problem that will never completely solve. But little by little, I think yes. if if we build the, the building blocks, it can be solved. And you are doing an amazing job. Uh, you know, thank you. thank you so much for the work that you're doing, oh, because it's impacting lives in ways I'm sure we can't begin to even imagine at this point. I'm Celeste, I am very blessed to get up every morning and be able to do this. Uh, the book I wrote, one of the young men on the cover of that, his name is Victor. He was our first scholarship in 2012. And little did I know it would come into all this. He now has a university bachelor's degree in finance, and he's taking classes for a CPA exam. He's an amazing young man. Um, and yeah, he's going to be a CPA pretty soon. Um, wow. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, how many have been here or, or come to the Christine United is, States? Christina Klaus is first, our right? first student here. Amazing. Obviously, we hope it's the first of many. Uh, we learned a lot in this process. It, as I mentioned, <laughs> it was much more work than I ever thought, especially mm-hmm. at the end, getting the visa. It's like, I, I'm not even sure how we got the visa, but we did. Uh, but yeah, wow. we want to get more. We want to get more here. I talk to universities on a pretty regular basis who are interested in having children like Christina Koss. Right. And I, I'm sure you see the dedication. Um, once they get in there, boy, they, you know, it's like no stopping. Right. Well, people ask me all the time, do these kids work hard? You know, I taught high school for many years. And unfortunately, I had a whole lot of kids who didn't work very hard. I go, <laughs> they all work hard because they all know their only chance of a better life is to work hard. And obviously, some are you know more equipped than others. Christina Koff is like off the charts, bright young woman. You know, they're not all going to be that. But, but they all work hard. There's no problem with, with not working hard. Right. And that, that's so amazing to see, you know, that despite all of the, the challenges that they face and, you know, from, from not having some of the basic things that we all take for granted, they're able to still, you know, thrive and, and work hard 
to achieve something and accomplish something. And But as we look at it, a lot of them would never be able to have, have done that without, again, the work that you've put into this. And, you know, we definitely uh, appreciate that in, in learning more about this and your organization and, and uh, whatever happened that that got in your heart to do, we're glad that it <laughs> happened. So thank you. Thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate you joining us today. We're about um, out of time. And so um, we're going to have to wrap up now. But again, um, if you could mention how people can get a hold of you or help, um, I think that would be greatly appreciated for our listeners to know how they can get involved. Thank you. And yes, and of course, we obviously hope your listeners, viewers, can donate in whatever amount. I mean, I have people who donate $10 and that's fine. And go to our website, WeissScholarshipFoundation.org. You can see there's many different ways to donate through credit cards, PayPal, mail us a check, Venmo, Cash App, and so on. Uh, so there's many, many ways to donate. Check out our website, learn more about this. On the website is my email address. It, it, my mobile, my cell number is on there. Please feel free to email me, call me anytime. But check out our website and if you can donate, great. Uh, share our story with others. You, I'm sure people watching this have friends who'd be interested in helping. Please share our story with others. The bottom line is the more you support us, the more children we can make amazing stories with. Right. And we appreciate, again, your sharing all this with us today on the Celeste Stein Show. That is all the time we have for now. Um, I do want you to know we'll be back here in about a week with more news you can use, self-help topics, and entertainment. I thank you all for watching. A lot of things have come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, but you should know that the court system in Tennessee is still open and holding in-person hearings for orders of protection and other types of abuse cases. If you have a hearing date, double-check on where your hearing will be held. If you need assistance on an order of protection or temporary restraining order, contact the Legal Aid Society at 1-800-238-1443 or visit our website at www.las.org.